Last week we were taking a look at uh, something that we really have known for a really long time because it's very common knowledge in virtually all Christian circles and that is that we are made in the image of God. And we see in Genesis, don't we, right from the very beginning, which we're going to spend a little bit of time in tonight, we see that uh, what does what does God's without even having to turn there? What does God's word say about being made in His image? You remember? God said, "Let us make men in our image." That's right. Let us make men in our image, and I I, I love that, don't you? Because right from the very beginning. God's Word begins to teach us the importance of doctrine. And there is theological uh, precedence that is set right with the creation that God the Father and Jesus the Son. Uh, and, and God's Word says, let us, plural, make them, that's us all, in our Image, And so we've been made in the image of God, and we looked at that last week very uh, briefly, because we were looking at also what our resurrected bodies will be like in regards to, the context was, how are we going to get around in this heaven, this new heaven and this new earth that come together, they collide, and we see, and we've been studying about the new Jerusalem, this very big, it's a city, and we see that in this city there's a lot of room. And, and we see how we're going to get around. We look at that, that this resurrected and glorified body, when we have to look at Scripture closely sometimes to see what is the foreshadow of what is going to be coming, because there are foreshadows in Scripture that aren't just prophetic. It's not just the prophets that said what's going to happen in the future. Jesus spoke about heaven, and frankly, a little later, we're going to see he had quite a few things to say about hell. In fact, Jesus said more about hell than almost anybody else, even though that topic is in both the Old and the New Testaments. But we saw that there is this glorified body that we're going to have, and we're all familiar with that, aren't we? But do we really stop and think about how we're going to be getting around? And last week when we, we looked at both, uh, or actually in three scriptures, in, in John and Luke and Acts, and we, we looked at the attributes of what a resurrected body looks like in regards to getting around. It's definitely a foreshadow of what it's going to be like in heaven. And so um, somebody last week said, I think we're going to be able to just think it and we're going to go there. And in one sense, that's absolutely true because what was the example that we were given that that is a foreshadow of what is to come in our resurrected bodies? Yeah, you could just be somewhere. You could disappear from their presence and be somewhere else. So, in essence, what we're looking at in Scripture, and it's very biblical, is, is that matter doesn't matter. <laughs> so, matter doesn't matter, and that's sometimes that's a that's difficult for us to get our mind around. And at the same time, as we look at these biblical truths. A lot of them are hard for us to get our minds around, aren't they? Because really, it's one thing to say, wow, I believe that God created 
everything. Well, that's faith. We believe that God created everything. And then we have a difficult time comprehending or believing even that matter doesn't matter in the heavenly realms. But the Bible says so. So the point is, is that as we read Scripture and as we read it for all it's worth and as we read it and as we understand it and as we look at how to interpret biblical truth, especially biblical truth that we try to interpret literally because we're told to, okay? We're told to interpret it literally where we can. And biblical truth can both be figurative or spiritual truth and literal at the same time. Because the Bible talks a lot about figures of speech and it also is very literal. And so as we see that quite literally we will be in these resurrected bodies where matter doesn't matter and we are going to be able to get around in a spiritual sense and yet we'll have complete physicality and we are going to be as physical as we are sitting here in a spiritual body. Something also difficult for us to wrap our mind around because Brenda fell down this week and she hurt herself and that's not going to be possible in her spiritually resurrected physical body. You're not going to hurt yourself ever again in heaven. Isn't that a wonderful thing? <laughs> and so these are truths that are quite self-evident when we, when we read Scripture, isn't it? It's quite self-evident. And yet, when we're going through this study of heaven, we have to look through all of it. Isn't it interesting that God presented these biblical truths to us and he wove them in his word throughout the entirety of Scripture as opposed to doing it the way I would have wanted him to do it, just tell me the way it is, God. Well, in some sense, he kind of did tell us the way it is. And he makes us look for it. And as we do, as we seek him, and as we seek his word to tell us biblical truth, the power of the Spirit enables us to see that truth. But we have to be into it. That is, into the Word of God. Amen? So, we also see that gravity is apparently quite modified. Because as we look at getting around in the new earth, that is the heaven and earth that collides together, this is a very big place, and we look at both heaven, plural, the new heaven, and heavens, that, that is, or heaven singular and heavens plural. The heavens are the, the cosmos, everything that God creates. And we, we know that we are going to reign and rule over all of God's creation. And all still means all. And that means the heavens. And I don't have the slightest idea what it might look like for those that love the Lord that are in the heavenly realms that will be rewarded to be responsible over ruling and reigning over the heavens. I always say, if the earth with the curse on it is as beautiful as it is, what's it going to be like when the curse is removed? Isn't that amazing? Because we see everything through the curse, and we see everything through sin, and, and yet the biblical truth is that that will all be removed, and so matter won't matter. I, I don't live like that. I can't walk through a door. Otherwise, I have a bandage on my elbow, just like Brenda, <laughs> if I try that. But then I will be able to. It's very clear. And so we also see 
that transportation in the heavenly realms is going to take on a whole different meaning. We're all going to have corvettes. Everybody's going to have a... No more gridlock. No more gridlock. Corvettes with no gridlock and no speed limits. And unlimited horsepower. <laughs> and laughter is a wonderful thing because you know we're going to actually look at that tonight too because there will be laughter in heaven and plenty of it. In First Corinthians, we saw that that there's there is an absolute clear distinction between our earthly bodies and our heavenly bodies. And if we did nothing else but just take that truth to heart, the truth is, praise God, that our earthly bodies will be done. Amen, sister. <laughs> so you know, Cindy's going through this this new knee thing, and and uh, and is learning a little bit along the way, huh? Yeah. <laughs> a whole lot along the way, and there's lessons to be learned about doing the right thing or not doing the right thing, and and there's and we'll never have to worry about that again. That's mind-boggling, but it is a biblical truth, and we see that in First Corinthians that these bodies are clearly distinct from what we are used to here. And that's clear. There isn't anybody in this room that isn't completely bought into that, right? right? It's a biblical truth. Simple, really. We're told that very clearly. We're told that the first man was of the dust. We're going to see that tonight as we take a look at both men and, and, and the other creatures that, that God created, animals. And the second man is of heaven. We see another distinction between how we have to view ourselves in the here and now, in the present, and in the future that God has provided for us. They are very distinct. Very distinct. And yet there are a lot of similarities. Because we see that we are actually taking some stuff with us to heaven. We're taking who we are. <laughs> but there will be no matter that we bring with us. There will be no USC football in heaven. That's why you were so eager to go there. <laughs> because we're all going to be on the same team, Marvin. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I totally agree. I haven't seen a hearse pull of the U-Haul trailer yet. Not yet. Not yet. Or if they do pull it, it, it doesn't go anywhere. It doesn't go anywhere. We also saw last week that God's word will stand. In fact, we saw that in Psalm 119, it says that God's word will stand firm in the heavens. And that is the declaration of God's glory throughout the heavenly realms. Okay? We see that by looking at how beautiful earth is right now. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when heaven and earth collide? We can't even imagine what that's going to be like. We were talking about sunsets in Hawaii and the beauty, because I've never... I haven't been to a lot of places, but, but that's one place I've been where the sunsets are just unbelievably spectacular. And, and it's, going to be, it's going to be even more unbelievably spectacular than we can even imagine. All of what God has prepared for us in the heavenly realms. And we also see that in Matthew 24, 35, that God's word will never pass away. Now that's a pretty clear indication that biblically speaking, if God's word is never going to pass away, and if it is going to stand firm forever in the heavens, that guess what? We will have God's word in one way 
shape or form. That's not what we're, we're not told how that's going to be exactly. But why isn't it that we can't imagine that if God's word is going to stand firm, that we'll have God's word? Why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't we? You're going to send me wallpapers with it. It'll certainly be on our hearts. There's no question about that. And God is going to be in a... uh, God will be providing us opportunity to learn and grow continually. And when we get to heaven, we also have learned that we will be learning and growing in perpetuity forever, for eternity. That's our eternal destination, really, is not only the place, but our nature, this new nature that we will have. We will be seeking Him in ways that we can't even imagine now. And He will be revealing Himself in ways that we can't even imagine now. And I believe that it will... Careful, because I just believe this. But I believe that it will be a really long time before everything that we have need to know now or desire to know now, the desires of our heart now, God will reveal to us then, but not instantaneously. It's not going to happen instantaneously. And we see that, biblically speaking, because when we get to heaven, guess what? The people that are in heaven right now, the present heaven, are there with questions. There wasn't complete revelation. Only the revelation that God wanted us to have. And that we are going to be seeking this knowledge and this discovery of the cosmos, of the heavens, of the earth. The New Jerusalem will take a while to even get around in. It's a very big place. And the New Jerusalem is quite small on a comparative basis to the new heavens that God is going to redeem. And he's not even going to get rid of the old heavens. He's just going to redeem everything. And we see that quite clearly in Scripture. We know a lot about heaven, don't we? Just from reading through the biblical accounts of what the Spirit revealed to all the writers of the Old and the New Testament. It's pretty fascinating, really. And it's kind of like a journey. So, uh, I was talking to, had lunch with, or not lunch, I guess it's breakfast when it's 7 o'clock in the morning, isn't it? I had breakfast with, with Mark Bodycomb yesterday. And Mark Bodycomb was talking about um, he and, and Kathy when they, uh, they were coming out, coming back from Virginia, and they took several weeks in a car and they did a road trip, something that they've always wanted to do. And they had a, the, the direction that they were going was west. And they had some people that they were going to stop and visit. But they allowed themselves the freedom to just kind of stop where they wanted to. And some things they were able to stop and see that they wanted to. And other things they just completely blew off because God kind of put them in a little bit different direction. And they, it was like discovery. And it was, it was weeks and weeks of time together exploring places they had never been by car. It's a little picture of, I think, what it's going to be like. This discovery that is going to be awaiting us in heaven. So we're going to be working there in a way that we don't even understand now because work has such a negative connotation and when we work in heaven, it won't be for a paycheck. Because we won't have a need to go to the grocery store. And nobody's going to have to buy car insurance. (laughs) And there isn't going to be a requirement. Will there be some economic value to certain things in heaven? Possibly. 
But the work that we're going to be doing is what we were created for. We'll be working in serving one another to the glory of God. And our paycheck will be the glory of God. It will be to God's glory. And it will have nothing to do with what we consider work to be now. It will be the desire of our every moment for an eternity to do the things that bring glory to God in the heavenly realm. That's what we were created for. Hmm. <laughs> I wonder how that translates to today. Does our heavenly oriented work, because you know you're doing heavenly work today, or you should be, <laughs> we should all be doing heavenly oriented work, keeping our our mind on the heavenly realms and working to glorify God in the here and the now so that we can hear those words, oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Um, and then and then get that the crown, those, those crowns that were promised um, and, and we'll have these assignments that we're, giving, that we're given and we will be so grateful for them. And, and it won't matter what anybody gets to do. We will be so thrilled with what everybody is assigned to do, no matter their task. Because we won't be comparing. So, when I don't get as good a job as Cindy, I'm not going to be angry that or upset, and I'm not going to worry about competing with her. I'm not going to be worried about trying to do any one-upsmanship. I am going to be so grateful. It will be a period of complete and total love, peace, joy, all of those things that we would long to experience now will just be natural. Because the things of this world that seem so natural in its fallen state won't exist any longer. Hmm. Interesting. I don't hear no sirens in heaven either. <laughs> <laughs> Back to your point of we won't just know everything in that Get there. There's a scripture that I, you made me think of it last week. I didn't read it. Can I read it just simply? Please. Okay, this is the end of John. This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that could be written. Wow. That's a substantiation of what we were saying. And so there it is, and I, I love that because I'm a, kind of a book guy, you know, and so um, uh, I kind of want there to be books. <laughs> Although I will confess, uh, at 2.30 today I was reading, and, um, and I, was, I was sitting on the, the couch, and, uh, and I was awakened when the book <laughs> fell on my lap. <laughs> So I decided to change positions and I put the book on the coffee table and just laid down and took a nap. <laughs> Sometimes that's what you have to do. Well, you know that uh, song, The Love of God, described oh, yeah. how the love of God, it, we can't even begin to think of it. If, if the sky were a parchment made and all this quills on earth or whatever, yeah. it, it just the goes deep. Yeah, it goes on and on, and it's amazing yeah. what what messages in that song. 
just wonderful. And the more I, I always share this with, with the guys, not always, but regularly, I've been sharing this with the with the worship team on Thursday nights when we when we practice because, um, uh, you know, uh, Robert's doing uh, hymns and and so we you know we we're doing a hymn pretty much every week and he picks this hymn and and so I like to I like to know what he is going to play and and if Susan is going to sing with what she's going to sing and, and many of these hymns because I I, I don't have that background. Um, uh, I love to look at the words of those hymns, and uh, for whatever reason, it is profound to me the the, the depth of the of the meaning behind the words, you know, and and it's just like, oh man, I really I really like that. And and Susan Rowland uh, and Scott Rowland turned me on to a, a group uh, called Sons of Korah, and Sons of Korah is a I think they're Irish, and they they play original songs, and they are songs, word for word. They put music to certain songs, and when they so they uh, it was it was it was really great because uh, Susan um, blessed me with a with a CD of some of their music, and so the name of the song song that they play is Psalm whatever it is. And so you can just open your Bible to get the words. You can go right to the psalm and they sing it. And it's a, it's melodic and it's, I mean, they have harps and they have, it's, be, it's beautiful music. And it's like, wow. And it so kind of reminds me of the old hymns and the writers of some of those hymns that the popular ones, of course, we're all aware of and used to. But the ones that aren't so popular, it's, it's, I don't know. I just really enjoy the the words. It makes me just stop and think through it. There's such a strong biblical content. And the other thing I love about what we do here is is that we will never play a song here. The worship team will never play a song that isn't biblically correct. If it's not biblically correct uh, in terms of its lyrics, it, it will not it will not come from here. It just it just won't because we you have to you have to drive that stake in the ground, don't you? It's really important. And which is what we're doing in our study of heaven or anything else. It becomes very important. So lastly, last week we, we talked about you know eating and, and drinking and, and, and feasting. There will be feasts in heaven and we, we see that, that at least the Bible alludes to the fact that there will be plenty of eating that goes on in heaven. And it will be mostly because it will be for our pleasure and not for our, our need or our requirement. Which is really kind of mind-boggling because I get hungry when I don't eat. And, and I think our hunger in heaven is going to be very different than our hunger here. Our hunger here is very physical. The spiritual hunger that we will have will be to serve one another and to glorify God in everything that we do and say and we think. And we won't be burdened by the things that make it difficult here because we won't have to worry about the enemy, his tactics, or sin, or, or any of those things. So, Lord, come. <laughs> no wonder Jesus called it paradise. I mean, really. No wonder he called it paradise. And we're learning that there is just so much that the Bible tells us. And what's interesting to me 
is how little the church really knows about heaven. In fact, if you ask the average churchgoer, what, do you, what does the Bible tell you about heaven or what do you know about heaven? And that's, ah, it doesn't tell us much, which couldn't be further from the truth. The Bible tells us a lot. We've been going at this for nine weeks and we're, and, and, and you know, we're just, we could go much deeper and farther if we really wanted to. So we're just hitting the high points of what the Bible says about heaven. Nine weeks, an hour and a half a week. It's, a, it's crazy, isn't it? The Bible says a lot about a lot. In fact, it says everything that we need to know about everything. But some people like to add extra, don't they? About heaven and or the adversarial position to heaven... That's not the right word, adversarial. But what's the opposite? Because, you know, the Bible says that we're going one of two places. You don't hear that in many churches anymore, do you? Yeah. Well, we're going to talk about that, but not tonight. <laughs> so as we look at... at uh, go ahead, Tim. Just minor philosophy on why we don't know anymore about heaven. There isn't any more presentatives about heaven than there is. But we might not be as careful about how soon we got there. <laughs> uh-huh. One of the things I love about all of Bible study is that, especially about the, about the, about, you know, of course I've learned, <laughs> you know, who learns the most in, in these series is, is, is the teacher. <laughs> and I, I am so amazed, uh, and we say this all the time because it's so true, the more I study, the more I know, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah. And, and it's, it's limitless, the, the supernatural, um, aspect of, of this book that we call the Bible is continues to blow my mind as I read and as I study and as I seek the Lord for for his truth um, he just continues to reveal more and more and more and it just it's never ending and I think even that's a picture of heaven it's never ending and our quest for that knowledge will be never ending and it will be nothing like here because it will be perfect there. We'll be perfectly seeking it there. Here we got to compete with all kinds of stuff. I mean, you know, we got we got everything from from well, we got every distraction known to man, don't we? <laughs> every distraction known to man, and we even get tired. But there we won't. Now that's a concept that's hard for us to grasp. I won't be tired in heaven. <laughs> that sounds good all of a sudden, doesn't it? I won't be exhausted. I won't be overwhelmed. I won't, I won't be lacking for time. I won't be under any pressure. I'll be completely filled with joy and awe. God will give me everything that I desire beyond anything I can even imagine now. It makes you wonder why everybody doesn't just sign up. <laughs> Amen? Last week we were taking a look at whether or not we are going to be carnivores or vegetarians in heaven. <laughs> so Tim, are we going to be carnivores or vegetarians in heaven? We're photographers later. Oh. <laughs> yeah, but we're not going to eat Ernie's camera. <laughs> Well, and when I do speculate, Joe is grilling on so. <laughs> <laughs> Are there going to be? We, when the last time we did a heaven series, we looked at this, and I think we concluded uh, very conclusively 
by scripture that are there are there animals in heaven? Duh. That's kind of a duh question, isn't it? But it's not if you don't know the answer. But yeah, there are going to be animals in heaven. And how do we know that? It is written. <laughs> That's a great answer. Yeah, because the Bible says so. But but how does... I think it's really important because this, this animals in heaven and whether or not we're going to be carnivores in heaven, are we going to eat meat in heaven? You know, last week I said, ah, I love, you know, I just absolutely love a, you know, a medium rare New York steak with... Maybe even a little bit of horseradish. Um, not mixed with sour cream either. Just the straight raw horseradish. That's, man, that's good. And um, so am I going to be blessed with a medium rare New York steak in heaven? Mm-hmm. Well, whatever is there will be better. Whatever is there will be better. We even looked and we saw that in the Psalms that, that the angels eat manna. And we wondered whether or not that's the same manna that the Israelites complained about. Like, are you kidding? Manna again? Again? <laughs> How does God feel about animals? Like he created them. So. They're created. Animals are created. Scripture reference on your on your sheet night. But let's start at the beginning, shall we? I like to start at beginnings. Let's start at the beginning and see how God feels about animals, and then what He is going to do with these animals ultimately, because God God's word actually tells us. And so let's look. Let's start in Genesis one twenty. Oh, forget the electronic one, Marvin. Let's just go right straight to the. Okay. I said, forget the electronic Bible. You know what I don't like about my electronic Bible? I like reading out of the NIV, but you can't get a 1984 vintage NIV in an electronic Bible. And so it just. Oh, I'm so angry with those people. What do you got? God said, let the water team with living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created great creatures of the sea and every living and moving thing with which the water teems, according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the water, the water in the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was oh, yeah, no, keep going, all the way to 25. Oh, okay. And there was evening, and there was morning, and the fifth day, and God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their God, at their might. And God saw that it was good. 
So Genesis 1, 20 through 25, God is kind of making something happen here. And what might that be? Life on the earth. He is, he is creating life on the earth. And according to these verses, what kind of life? Animals and birds. Animal life. And fish. And fish. All kinds of animals. And he actually gives the animals some instruction. What might that be? Hmm. And then how did God feel about what he was doing? He said that it was good. So God, in the beginning, decides, in his infinite wisdom... That he is going to create the animals, the birds, the fish. That's uh, and and how how many animals? What kinds of animals did God create? Okay. All of them. <laughs> there wasn't one that was created that wasn't created. Yeah. Okay. And I love this because I'm an evolutionist. They were made of their kind, evolving to different kinds. All right. You got me. I'm a microevolutionist because God created all of these animals and then they evolved because over time and when they were needing to 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 change based on the environment that they were in, they they changed color and they had and they it, it's really interesting, isn't it? So God created all of the animals and then they they. They changed over time. So that's why there's so many different kinds of lizards. God created the lizards. And then and then somehow or another, over time, um, there became blue belly lizards. Now, I'm not a lizard expert, but there are different kinds of, of lizards. And it's very clear that they, they adapted to what they needed to adapt to. And even in the hummingbird species, I love hummingbirds. We have a hummingbird feeder and they come and they right by our window, you know, and and they and they feed, you know, and and they're they're really pretty. Some of them are very boring looking. Some of them are very plain Jane, and others are very colorful. And you know, God created all of that. And and over time, it's just kind of like our DNA. You know, God created you, knitted you together. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And in your what mother's womb, and God did that. And there's no other explanation for it. It wasn't all just physical. It wasn't. And so. And we see that God is creating animals. Then what did he do? Genesis 1.26 says what? Let us make man in our image. That's really interesting. Is the Genesis account chronologic? There's a lot of concern about what seven days means. Regardless if what if you believe that a day is a twenty-four hour period in Genesis, or if a day is a long period of time, the question is: Was it chronologic? Yes. Seems like it. Every shred of evidence would suggest that God's word gives us the account of creation in chronological order. We take that quite literally. 
we don't have to take, we could divide over whether or not a day is a day or a day is a really long time and we, we know the argument to, to the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and vice versa and, and, and we're not going there. But the question is, is it chronologic? Because if it's chronologic and the evidence is overwhelming that God's word provides us this account of creation in chronological order, that man was then created after the animals. He gave them to to who to name? The man. Yeah. The man was given. and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the livestock over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. The point being that there is a chronologic nature to what is being described here and God created animals before he created man. Is there any significance to that? Do you think? Well, man is a more complex being in many ways than the animals. Mm -hmm. So progressively, that would be uh, stepping up the progression, so to speak, as he went along. One way to look at it, I hadn't thought about it in those terms, a step up in terms of uh, uh, complexity. And so now, uh, based on that, we might want to consider then, um, was it complex for God to create? No. Probably not. He's God. I don't like the way you're taking this, though, because on that basis of what <laughs> you're just saying, that means he made man first and then he made woman later. And so sure. <laughs> <laughs> now that's even a more interesting <laughs> <thought>. <laughs> Now, I'm really glad that... Uh, That's why it's so hard for me to understand this. The is that you brought that up. I noticed that your wife isn't here this evening. You wouldn't say that. There are degrees of being brave, and apparently when your wife isn't with you, it goes up a notch. <laughs> the next question then logically is is that when God created the animals and then he created man how did he create the animals what are the similarities and what are the differences in terms of how God created where did the animals come from where did man come from the ground the ground and what are the what are their Let's talk for just a second about similarities and differences. What do we know about similarities and differences? We don't have any animals here to to um, argue their their case, but what what do we know about the animals, animals and, and men? Similar to, to humans. Pardon me. Mammals are very you know all other animals are very, that are mammals are very similar to humans. Okay, mammals are similar to humans. They carry their young and give birth and okay. nurse and all that. All right, and there are other animals that lay eggs. Yeah, because you have the system, you have the nervous system, you have the respiratory system. A lot of systems are 
are intact, that are, that are very similar. What else? Well, the, the human brain is far superior to that of the animal world. Okay, brains are superior in, in, in mankind than they are in the animals that God created? Some, some people's brains are superior. <laughs> some people's no. superior. <laughs> Not all, okay. What else? Keep going. Told us both species to be fruitful. Species, that's really an interesting <laughs> word, isn't it? Okay. There are a lot of requirements in common. You know, like eating and Mm-hmm. You know, respiratory systems are mentioned. We need to breathe. We like shelter. Mm-hmm. Shelter. Just a whole lot. Of mm-hmm. The ability to reproduce. Okay. Reproduction. Mm-hmm. Multiplication. Populating the earth. Hmm. And what else? What else do we have between man and it's animals? Animal. Animals created first that are similar. A soul. A soul. Man, uh, God, God breathed into his nostrils. Man. I love that. Turn to Genesis 1.30. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Genesis. We all have the same God. <laughs> There's a similarity. <laughs> Genesis 1.30. Somebody read that, please. And to all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that live on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I gave every green plant for food, and it was so. Hold on to that thought now just for a second, and now turn to Genesis a little bit farther, Genesis 6.17. between the breath of life all of these are in the context of the animals every single passage that we just read talk about God giving the animals the breath of life or God referring in his word to animals that had the breath of life and so the breath of life is what? is what? It's the soul. It's really interesting because, well, turn to Genesis 2. But he didn't 
Well, let's go there. Let's go back to Genesis 2-7 because we're trying to get a handle on what God is going to be doing with animals. And we have to start at the beginning about how important animals are. So turn to Genesis 2-7. Can someone read that, please? The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. <coughs> what did he do with man? <laughs> Is this the same breath of life that God's Word is talking about relative to what God has breathed into the animals? Well, we, yes, we, which is the right answer because here's the word that's used. It's really interesting that because man became a living being after the breath of life was breathed into him. And it's interesting to note when we take a look at both the Hebrew and the Greek, we got to go back to the original language now because this breath of life thing becomes pretty important for not only the creation story, but the present and the future in terms of what God is going to be doing with his creation. Okay, with his creation. Because what do we know about the new heaven and the new earth? <coughs> Speaking of creating, what do we know? We've been studying this for nine weeks now. God created. God created. He also created the old heavens and the old earth, didn't he? God created everything. Okay? It all belongs to him. And so this breath of life, in the Hebrew, the word is nefesh. It's used 754 times in the Old Testament alone. And in the New Testament, written in the Greek, the word is siki, and siki and nefesh mean one thing and are translated, those two words, similarly throughout the entirety of the Bible when they are used in the original language, the Hebrew and the Greek, and the word in English that is used for breath of life, which is nefesh and siki in English, Kathy Wilcox, the word is soul. Do animals have souls? Emphatically, absolutely, 100% yes. The clarity is that God created the animals and he created them nefesh. He breathed life into them. And he gave them a soul. That is the word in the Hebrew used 754 times in the Old Testament. And animals all of a sudden become pretty important. And we're talking about creation now. Not heaven yet. How's that spelled it is spelled, if you would like to look it up, N-E-P-H-E-S-H, pronounced nefesh. And in the Greek, if you'd like to work, look up the Greek word, it is P-S-Y-C-H-E. Psyche is how it's pronounced, not psyche like it is spelled. 
It's a fascinating word when you take a look at how important animals are to God who created them before he created man and he breathed the breath of life, that is nefesh, into them and it is translated soul and it's exactly the same word for animals and for mankind. Wow. Do the animals have a spirit? Well, that's really interesting. <laughs> Let's take a look and stay in Genesis and go to Genesis 6.19. And in 6.19, we're going to see that there were some problems in this account in Genesis. And God hooked up with this very, very obedient fella, and he told them to build a boat. That's <laughs> Wouldn't it be nice if he told us to build a boat because we were going to get some rain? That's a whole other story. But, but we know the account of Noah, don't we? But let's take a look at it in the context of God creating animals and the fish. 6, 19, and 20. Not everybody all at once. One of you could just do it all on your own if you want to. <laughs> you are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. What was God doing with the animals? He was keeping them alive. This is really interesting when you stop and think about the Genesis account of mankind and animals. What's going on in the story of the flood? Man is falling from the land disappointed God. And what is God doing? He's going to wipe it out. The good news is that he said he would never do it again. That's the good news. The bad news here is that God chose a righteous man and his family and the animals. Now we've got to deal with how important these animals are. And we're going to get there in, in a minute because we're still dealing with creation and now we're sneaking up on this nefesh, this animals that have souls, animals that were created by God that were good subject to the curse things went wrong but that wasn't the original design for these animals flashback to our our cuisine now and the question was are we going to eat New York steaks medium rare in heaven what was God's original design for animals you're going to keep them alive <laughs> hmm. how are you going to get your steak well, in one of the verses that was already read, said that I will give you every green plant for food. Every green plant for food. He uh, told that to the animals. Not to the humans. Right. But originally, we're above the food chain. 
Hmm. This is a fascinating study when you talk, stop and think about how God created the animals first, gave them a soul. That's what it says. The same breath of life, exactly the same word for soul that he gave us. He gave animals. And in the original design, there was complete harmony. Complete harmony. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, the problem with the woodpeckers on the ark. <laughs> well, that's why there was pitch. So they could plug up the holes. How else did God use, let's zoom forward a little bit, how else did God use animals throughout Scripture? Sacrifices. Sacrifices, that's huge. Because that all led to what? The, the ultimate sacrifice. The final ultimate sacrifice. God used those animals. Whoa. Now some people think that that's a bloody gory mess and why would a loving God ever do anything like that on the one hand and on the other hand it's perspective, isn't it? It's perspective. These it's animals that were... Blood of uh, clearly, clearly significant. And we see that even in... And we don't have to turn there uh, in, in light of time, but... Uh, on your scripture references in First Kings, we see that that what God even used ravens. Remember that story? Yeah. To feed Elijah, God spoke to the animals. God spoke to the animals. So not only did He speak to them in the Genesis creation account, He spoke to them much later on and said, "Hey y'all, got a task for you." Ask Balaam. Ask Balaam, and what happened with Balaam? The donkey spoke. Alright? Now, okay, and what about Jonah? A, a large fish. It's amazing to me that there are people that will absolutely believe that God created the animals and they would have no problem looking at these scriptures and saying, wow, animals have souls because that's what the Bible teaches. That's what it says. And yet they would discount completely that Noah put all those, all those animals on an ark. They would discount completely that, that Jonah ended up in the belly of a big fish. They would discount completely that ravens were spoken to from God who kept Elijah alive. And they would discount completely that there was a donkey that talked. <laughs> How could that be? You see, in the biblical account, you either have to take it or you have to leave it. Isn't that true? Yep. You don't get to pick and choose. And so God clearly says, was it metaphorical that, that Jonah was in the belly of a fish? I don't think so. No coincidence that it was three days. Yeah. Huh. Now, is there some symbolic Meaning to that? Probably. Jesus refers to it. Jesus refers to it. Jesus refers to a lot of stuff that happened in the Old Testament, doesn't he? Okay. That people struggle with. Wait till we start studying in hell just a little bit and see what Jesus had to say about that. <laughs> that people struggle with. That's a real good one for... I'm looking forward to that. And so that's, a, that's the trailer for where we're going next is when we start to study hell and we see what Jesus said about it because he had more to say about hell than almost anybody. And then... 
and then we take a we take a look at what the church is is doing, and the and, and the real trailer is that you know we think that that's new, but you know the the assault on hell started in the third century. This is nothing new. You know what, what was it? Solomon said, "There's nothing new under the sun." There's nothing new under the sun. It's just regurgitated, but it's not new. But nonetheless, God has used all of these animals all along for all kinds of purposes, and we see that these animals even have a sense that we don't have. God gifted animals. You ever notice how how animals even sometimes can predict or 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 foretell that there's going to be an earthquake? Those kinds of things, and that's pretty common knowledge, isn't it? Well, that came from God. I don't understand that, but that came from God. So, so that's and that's that's actually pretty normal. And so, and so animals. And what about what about the sense of smell that some animals have? Because our species doesn't smell very good. I mean, look at the size of my nose, and I don't smell any better than anybody else. You know what I mean? But that's uh, debatable. <laughs> 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 oh, I knew that. I knew that. <laughs> you know, one of the great things about Wednesday nights is the, the, the love that you feel. <laughs> this is a true indication that this is family. Amen. The bloodhounds have been used to, you know, they, they can pick up certain scents. Other dogs have been trained to smell out. Uh, Drugs uh, and seeing eye dogs, which is another thing that's not, you know, sniffed or, but, but they have a certain ability. Not all dogs do. I like to tell a story because it was such a fascinating and impactful event in my life when I got to go with Tyler on a ride along. And it was one of the busiest, for some reason, God chose one of the busiest nights he had in a really long time. They had a big drug bust go down. And, and uh, you know, I was between excited and scared to death the whole yeah. night. And um, and he had his dog um, who we had had a little bit of time to do some training with. And, and in the back, when he was a canine cop, he had the thing in the back of his car, and it's full of drugs. I mean, there's Tyler driving around in Santa Barbara with his cop car, and he's got this metal box in the back, and it's got methamphetamine and heroin and marijuana and all this stuff in there. And, you know, I've never seen some of that stuff, and I'm look, I was fascinated. You know, and he uses it for for dog training. And he hides that stuff, you know, and so when he has a little bit of a break and, and the dog is constantly training. Anyway, we went on this drug bust and they went and they got the bad guys and the whole thing lasted like 30 seconds and the bad guys were on the ground, on their faces, handcuffed and literally in 30 to 60 seconds it was over. And they got the dog uh, and the dog was there to, the dog went in first because <laughs> that's what they do with those dogs. And then they had the dog, once they cleared the house, then they had the dog go around and show them where the drugs were. And he went around and sniffed around that house, and it was it's the most unbelievable thing I ever saw. And he sniffs around the house, and he goes, and he sits, and he looks. <laughs> and, he's, and he's just staring. And so there's Tyler, and he goes to where the dog is staring, and there, with the drug, there was like three or four places that they had hidden drugs in the house, and the dog went to each one of them. And, and to, of course, to Tyler, that was like no big deal. That's what he does every day. And to me, I mean, my dog yeah. dropped on the house. How does that work? Yeah. And, and they're trained, and they can smell it. And Tyler would even tell you that he can tell you what kind of drugs, for the most part, the dogs are that well trained and they have that kind of sensory um, ability. And so, and God created that. And so we see that in Proverbs, and you don't have to turn there, Proverbs 12.10 says that the godly care for the needs of their animals. And then finally in Psalm 50.10 and 11, 
God, that's the one that you were referring to, that God claims ownership over every animal. And of course, that would be common knowledge to us because what belongs to God? Everything. Not everything. Nothing that we have belongs to us. We even belong to Him. And that's a beautiful thing. That takes a lot of pressure off of me. I don't know about you. When I know that I don't have to worry, I don't, I don't own anything. Okay? I have responsibilities, but I don't own anything. It all belongs to God. And so, it's interesting that God clearly indicates that animals are part of the redemption process. They were on the ark. We see that animals are going to be in heaven. We know, don't we, that the lion will lie with the lamb. We know that in both Isaiah 11 and in Isaiah 65:25, we see that all of the animals in the new heaven and the new earth are going to, even serpents will be there. You know that? Because it says the child will put his hand in the cobra's den and the cobra will be like a pet. Is it a, not a cobra? What is it? Adler. A what? Adler, I believe. Adler, Adler, Adler. Adder? Yeah, Adder. I don't know. It's a bad thing. <laughs> and the point is that this is on the new earth. Nobody here doesn't understand that there will be animals in heaven. And we see that the animals have souls. And we know that animals were not created the same as human beings because we were made in the image of God and animals were not. There is no explanation in terms of how God differentiates this breath of life breathed into the animals other than it is the same breath of life. And the redemption process happens for animals the same as it happens for men with one exception. And what might that be? Salvation. 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 Because animals are subject to the curse and the fall, but animals are not sinners in need of a Savior. Animals are God's beautifully created creatures that He cares deeply about that have souls, which is should be profound for us in terms of how we view God's creation and His creatures <coughs> and how important they are. And that He is going. Did God have to bring animals into the heavenly realms? No. Did He create them originally? For our pleasure and to have dominion over and not eat? Yes. That was the basis of the creation. With souls? Molly? Yes. So people asked this last time we went through the Heaven series, so are our pets going to be in heaven? That's a really good question, isn't it? Because if pets aren't subject to redemption from a salvation point of view, but they will be redeemed similar to the new earth, the new heaven, will be made new, will be totally new in heaven. 
not a salvation issue. And so there's no biblical precedence for our pets being resurrected. And I shared this the last time we studied because it's a, uh, because my wife loves this. <laughs> so I'm going to read it again. And Johnny Erickson Tata, who many of us know, who's has been in a wheelchair and as a quadriplegic for 50-some years now, um, and is probably one of the sweetest souls that you would ever want to run across. I know her from the radio and from books that she has written. I've never met her before. But she said this about animals, and it resonates with a lot of people. And there's no biblical precedence for this, except for one thing. See if you can pick it out. She said this. If God brings our pets back to life, it wouldn't surprise me. It would be just like him. It would be totally in keeping with his generous character. Exorbitant, excessive, extravagant in grace after grace after grace. All of the dazzling discoveries and ecstatic pleasures heaven will hold for us the potential of seeing Scrappy would be pure whimsy, utterly, joyfully, surprisingly superfluous. Heaven is going to be a place that will refract and reflect in as many ways as possible the goodness and joy of our great God who delights in lavishing love on his children. I love that because it captures the imagination of how attracted we are to our animals. My wife has a sign in her kitchen. As I said, it's her kitchen. That's, that's that. <laughs> and, and it says that this house <laughs> is reserved for the convenience of the cats. <laughs> because we have several. And the point is, is that she is an animal lover. And I know many people who are. And God, in his grace, has provided this eternity for us where he is going to lavish on us things that we can't even imagine where things will be in perfect harmony. And what do we love on earth? One of the things that we love is his created animals that have a soul. Do you believe then that animals will have a soul? Will we have a soul in heaven? Absolutely. Our relationship with the animals in heaven will be radically different than they are now because it won't be seen through the prism and we won't be dealing with them through the prism of the fall, the curse, or sin. Interesting. Animals are important, and we won't be eating them in heaven because there is no more death. We had the philosophical discussion about, well, how are we going to eat grain things then because aren't they alive? Yes. But... What aren't they alive with? The breath of life. A breath of life. 
God is going to give us those things that we enjoy that he created. And the two things that will come together that will be very similar to what we see now are the things that have the breath of life, of which there are only two. Isn't that interesting? It's fascinating. I don't know. Maybe my cat-loving wife if she's in heaven, we'll have a lover. <laughs> I, I don't know. So it's all salads? <laughs> salads and manna. And speaking of salads and manna and eating, will we have free will in heaven? God's perfect will? Okay. Um, did, did Adam and Even? Uh, Adam and Even. Did Adam, <laughs> that even all that. Did Adam and Eve, even in the Garden of Eden, did they have free will? Yes. Okay. And um, how were they created? Not from the dust, but I mean, what was their nature before the fall? It, it, sinless and... In the image of God. In the image of God and quite innocent. You know, if they were running around naked and weren't ashamed, that's terrifying to us. And yet, that's what it was. And so, um, hmm, Romans 5.19 says, Just as though the disobedience, for just as though the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. You see, in heaven, we will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. We will be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. That's how God views us now, positionally. Okay, That's our position. Oh, I wish that the church would understand how God sees us. Because we don't see ourselves that way. And we should. We should be looking at each other through God's eyes, not through our own. And so we are positionally righteous, and yet in heaven we will be completely delivered from what? We will be completely delivered from sin, and the righteousness of Christ, Christ likeness, in other words, will include the inability to sin. Right? Mm -hmm. We won't have the ability to sin. Will we know of sin in heaven? No tears. Mm. I see some and some. uh, Will we know of sin in heaven? Who do we look to for the foreshadow possibly to answer that question in terms of knowing sin and having free will in heaven? Jesus, did Jesus sin? Did he know of sin? Hmm. What will be your primary difference in heaven, besides your body and all those other things? What will be the primary difference in heaven relative to your your position now on, on earth? There will be no temptations in heaven. There will be no temptations. There will be no desire. 
operation is complete. Complete. Yes. Yeah, the process will have been completed and your nature will be changed. You see, Jesus couldn't sin. God cannot sin. I love that philosophical argument. Well, if God can do anything, could he sin? Well, no, absolutely not. It's not in his nature. He's, it's impossible for God to sin. Jesus couldn't sin. Did he go through temptation as fully man? Absolutely. Did he sin? Absolutely not. Will we be conscious of what sin is? I believe that scripture tells us completely we will understand what sin is, but it will be so far out of our nature that it would be like us trying to determine how we're going to change ourselves into a rock as we sit here. We, we, we We are unable to do that. And so we will be just as unable to sin. It will be so far outside of our nature. And so as we exercise free will now, as we exercise free will now, there is a big difference between how we do that now. Because do we have free will now? No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and that free will rears its ugly head in a negative way too often, doesn't it? Of course it does. Of course it does. And yet, so God can't sin, nor will we be able to sin, because we will be manifest with a new nature in Christ-likeness, complete. It's interesting, because in the present heaven, we're given a real clear indication of that, aren't we? Because at least the martyrs are looking down on the sin on the earth, and they're asking God, Will you do something? Will you do something? They were desperate. Not for revenge, but for what? For vengeance. That's right. Just wanted to avenge what had happened, not revenge. And then finally, before we conclude and talk about what we're going to do next week, How much joy is there going to be in heaven? Unlimited. Uh-huh. Unlimited. Unlimited joy. Are we going to have fun? <laughs> Will we laugh? I, I think so. If somebody once said that God has a real sense of humor. He created the hippopotamus and the rhinoceros. Yeah. I've got boy. And the giraffe and the aardvark <laughs> and the platypus yeah. and uh, oh, what all those weird looking animals. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and yeah. you. You I deserve that. I had to give that one back, Mark. I owed you one. Luke 6.21 says, Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. I love the thought of laughter. Isn't it interesting that when we're experiencing great joy in the here and the now, in the fallen nature that we have, I was talking with Cindy Kempton today, and she, and she, you know, uh, she's so funny, because she was talking about her bum knee again, and uh, and she was and she was in distress and it was painful and yet she had the ability to laugh at herself right yeah. weren't you doing that today so she was laughing at herself today in a in a position of some distress there was some pain and it was like a what a knucklehead I am and yet we can laugh about that. 
because we ought not take ourselves too seriously. And yet, the seriousness of following Christ is pretty serious, isn't it? And yet, God created laughter and says right here that, man, we weep now, but oh, will we laugh then. I get this picture of heaven from not only that verse, but from uh, Luke 6.23, just two verses Mm -hmm. later, it says, rejoice in that day. That day, what is that day he's talking to, uh, talking about in context? The day, that day that, it, that is coming, for sure. He says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward in heaven. What does leap for joy denote? Joy. joy. What, is, what happens mostly when we're joyful? We smile. And when we're smiling, what's the natural manifestation of smiling? Joy, laughing, we're, we're happy, we're, we're all of those things. That is a picture of what Scripture tells us heaven is going to be like. Joyful. You know, because when it says there's no more death and there's no more sorrow, there's no more, there's all those no mores that we know about, we forget that we are going to, it's going to be a hoot. <laughs> it's going to be a hoot. We're going to laugh. We're going to have fun. We're going to enjoy. So many people have this perception of heaven that it's going to be. We're going to be all stoic, and we're going to be in the presence of God, and we're, oh, and we think about this, the sermons in heaven are going to be the sermons of old, and where there's the, the preacher is standing behind the, whatever that thing is called, and, and, and that's the one, and he's standing behind the pulpit, and he's so serious, and he doesn't smile, hogwash. What it says is, is that there is going to be complete joy. It says we're going to be leaping for joy and smiling and laughing and having a good time and carrying on all with a new nature in the heavenly realms that God has created just for us. 1 Corinthians 12, 7 says this, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I don't know about you, but Ernie, I'm betting that you are like me in regards to one thing about heaven. We want to have fun. And it needs to be joyful, and it will be because that's what God promises us. And we will laugh, and we will carry on, and we will be having a good time beyond anything that we can even imagine. I can think of something more important between you and Ernie and Heaven. <laughs> You'll both be there. <laughs> Thank you. So, lastly, let's turn to 1 Timothy 6.17. Put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. <laughs> and what might that mean? Everything that we enjoy down here, we'll enjoy up there 100% more. (laughs) And how much is he going to provide for our enjoyment? Wow. Everything in heaven, God will provide for... Now, stop and think about this. This is the God that created the animals, and then he created us, And our purpose in heaven is going to be to be proclaiming His glory and serving Him in ways that we can't even imagine.
for his glory. And what has he done for us in the heavenly realms? Besides what he's doing there now and preparing the place for us. He, according to scripture, is going to richly, I challenge you to do a word study on that word alone, richly provide us with everything and everything still means everything for our enjoyment for those who love for our enjoyment let's take that home tonight because you know as we temporarily are here and we're just passing through and we set our minds on things above, our thoughts on things above, changing the way we even view our relationship with Jesus, and discounting all the, all the stuff of the world. Yeah, we have to be in it, but we have to think about not being of it. We're not of this world. And when God comes to live with us, His choice, God's free will, coming to live with us in the new heaven, which is earth redeemed. And His purpose, because He loves us, and we just responded in love back to him through accepting his son, Jesus Christ, is to richly, beyond anything we can even imagine, bless us with everything, provide us with everything for our enjoyment. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's our eternal destiny. To be in this paradise with the God who created us out of love and just said, Oh, oh he so graciously waits for us, doesn't he? And then ultimately provides for us richly everything, including our relationship with Him that will be perfected in ways that we can't even imagine. Amen? Wow. What a beautiful thought that is. Next week, Wednesday night, we are going to finish our series on heaven. And you're going to come. So make sure all the Wednesday nighters know. Because when they know, I'll expect a crowd. <laughs> come hungry. Because we're going to start and finish in the fellowship hall, not here. You're going to bring manna? There will be manna. Manna from heaven. There will be manna from heaven. Next, if we're here... Because, you know, it's possible we might not be here. But provided we're here, come Wednesday night hungry. Don't eat dinner. Come to 
Wednesday night Bible study, prepared for some manna from heaven, and then we will have fun, because God wants us to have fun, and we will have fellowship, and we will have, what else? What's the third F we should have? Fun. I already said Laugh. fun. Laugh. Oh, food! Fellowship. <laughs> <laughs> Because we know what happens in Christian circles, we have to eat. And I can't think of any better way to conclude a heaven series than by having some food together. So we should break bread, and all you got to do is come hungry, okay? Until all the Wednesday nights. So we'll even probably announce that on Sunday. And, and this if, is a whole church. And if so <laughs> I just want to come, that's okay too. <laughs> because we're going to be eating together in heaven. But on Wednesday, we, we may be carnivores. I'm not sure. Okay? 